Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to your hotel. I hope you find everything to your liking. Just be sure to remember, everything is not always as it seems. And you may be getting more than you bargained for. Enjoy your stay. This week, we're checking into the hidden horrors that you may face with hotels. What's the worst or most troubling thing you'll find? We'll tell you. We'll also explain why you can't trust those online reviews. And in our SAS class, we're going to find out how food safety can act as a template to improve your stay and make sure it's safe. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and I'm going to uncover some of the untold realities of hotels so you don't have to experience them. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. When traveling in North America, did you know that you're one of almost 4.8 million people who stay in hotel rooms at any given night? That is an incredibly large number, and it's not like hotels are all sold out. So it's not surprising that all hotels are not created equal. Just because you're staying at a hotel that calls itself the best or has quality doesn't mean that it lives up to its name. Regardless of chain location and affordability of rooms or how much research you do in advance, there always can be problems. Some are easy to deal with like dead batteries in the remote or you can't figure out the thermostat. But what about the ones you just can't fix with a call? I'm sure you have your own horror stories, and our first guest has seen quite a few. He's John Catucci, and he has been touring for the better part of 20 years as a comedian and as the host of the award-winning You Gotta Eat Here series. He's now back on the road as the host of Big Food Bucket List, which airs on Fridays with back-to-back episodes starting at 9 p.m. on Food Network Canada. So let's just start getting into some of these horror stories. You've had some pretty interesting ones from what I've been told. And it's not just necessarily about the germs, although we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. What about the ghosts? Oh, man. Listen, I don't want to believe in ghosts. And I know the the sane part of my brain doesn't believe in them. Right. But when you're at night and it's a creepy hotel, like we were in new Orleans at a hotel, the hotel Pontchartrain. That's what the name of the hotel was. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we load in and we, 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 we collect our bags. We go get the minivans at the airport. And there's a lovely gentleman who's helping us load our bags into the minivan. And he's like, Hey, where are you staying? And we said, Oh, the hotel Pontchartrain. He's like, Oh no. And I'm like, overall, I go, what? Thinking it's going to be a bad hotel. You know, it's whatever, whatever. He's like, oh, I worked there for two weeks. I had to stop. It was haunted. And we're like, come on. 
And then when you walk into the space, it just, it has that feel. It's got, it's got centuries of history. There's like, there's like a fo- a black and white photo of what the, what the entrance used to look like. And it's changed a little bit, but now it feels like the shining. <laughs> it's got a very, it's got a very weird feeling in it. And the rooms, it felt like the hotel must've been apartments at one time. Cause there, it, it was, there were big rooms and there were like, there was like a, a separate living area and a separate dining area and a separate kitchen. Like there was a big, big room. And so we're like, okay, so this, this must've been families could have lived here. And then when you go into like the dot into the bedroom, they have like, it was like an elaborate sort of like armoire kind of stuff like that. Like lots of drawers and lots of this and lots of sh- shelving. And it just made me feel unsettled. Right. The next day, like running with my crew, we meet up and he's like, and my buddy Jim, who was the director at the time, was like, oh yeah, this place is haunted. I'm like, why? He's like, well, one of the drawers just opened by itself. I'm like, what do you mean it was just open? He's like, well, neither me and my wife, we didn't open it and it was just open. I'm like, are you sure that maybe one of you just, you know, forgot you opened it up, you were putting stuff. He's like, nope, nope, nope. And so that's, that was in my head. So that was in my head. And so the rest of the week we were staying there, it was like, oh, no. So it, it's very difficult to sleep in an old hotel like that. And you know that everyone talks about how haunted New Orleans is because it's just it's, – it's, it's such an old city. It's one of the oldest cities in North America. So there's, like, there's just so much stuff happening there. And they kind of embrace – the whole city embraces that sort of stuff, right? You can go on the cemetery tours and the ghost walking tours and everywhere you're going, there's, there's some sort of history that's like that. So you just – you can feel the energy like that in the air. So that was – it was not the best. It was not the best sleep in the world that that week, for sure. All right, let's go to something that obviously is a little bit more physically real, but still invisible, and that's germs. Are you Howie Mandel when it comes to germs, or are you more kind of like me, the germ guy, which is like, yeah, they're they're there. I'm the if I'm gonna open up a door going into like a mall, I'll use my shirt kind of kind of guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I'll, I know. I'll, 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 I I won't go barehanded on on a on a door kind of thing, but. I'll shake hands, you know, I'll hug and I'll do that stuff. So I'm not that bad. I'm also the kind of guy who has started now when I get into, when I get onto an airplane, I carry around antibacterial wipes. So I'll wipe down the TV screen and the, the food tray thing and the armrests and the buckles. Cause I know that they don't do that. It starts, it starts playing with your mind. So all the little things that I can do when I get to a hotel as well, I use one of those, those antibacterial wipes and I wipe down the, the remote control as well on the phone. So it's just trying as much as possible to mitigate how many evil germs are attacking me. For the record, you should also be doing the head rest. I'm, that's all I'll oh, say. Shit. Oh, no. Oh, no. I, I, that, that's all I'll tell you because I do not want to gross you oh, out. I no. want to finish the interview here. So oh, no. when, when we're talking about hotel rooms, I've been the guy that's walked in with the blue light. I've done the little scanning and everything. I'm not going to say it to yeah. you, but would you be comfortable walking into a hotel with a with one of those blue lights to find out what may or may not be clean. Oh man, there's part of me that, that there's part of me that's like, I want to know, uh, and the most part is like, don't tell me so I can sleep because if I saw, <laughs> if I saw what sort of fluids were being left in the hotel room, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd be able, I'd have to burn, I'd have to carry my own sheets. Let's just go through the process then. You get to a hotel, yeah. do you do the first visual inspection? Like, you know how we talk about in risk management and also emergency response, <clears throat> otherwise known as uh, being a comedian? 
Uh, you stand in front of the crowd and you do an assessment and you realize, oh, this is going to be rough or, oh, this one's going to be easy. You do the same thing with respect to the hotel so that you have a good feel as to, you know, how, how worried you should be. 100%. Like it starts up from right when you walk in the front doors and you look at that lobby and you're like, okay, if, are they taking care of the lobby? Because if they're taking care of the lobby, then maybe, the, you know, most likely that goes through the whole hotel, right? So the first thing I do when I get into my room is check the bed. I'm kind of obsessed with making sure that there are, you know, as, as best as I can assess my bed bug searching skills, like to make sure that <laughs> yep. I don't see anything, right? So, you know, I've got my phone, I got my light on, I got lights on, I'm checking the seams, I'm doing all that stuff, I'm pulling sheets off. And another thing I never do is like lie down on the sheets, the covers of the bed. I always pull them back down because, you know, they don't clean that stuff. That's not really getting clean. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I'm not using a lot of hotels now have moved from glasses, glassware that you're drinking out of to plastic or, or styrofoam and stuff like that. So you so you're not drinking from glasses that. You know, the the cleaning people have used the same, you know, when they've used the same rag to clean the toilet, I've learned that. I mean, I've had some buddies of mine who are, when you compare it to Howie Mandel, that will ask for extra towels and put them down on the ground so they're walking on towels and not just walking on the carpet Whoa. of the hotel. So I'm not there, but I definitely not a big fan of walking around barefoot in my hotel room. You know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll keep socks on or I've got a pair of flip-flops or sandals and stuff like that that I travel with. So there's a little bit of that. So has there ever been a situation where you've actually been in a hotel that maybe isn't haunted, but perhaps germy or something else, wet, whatever you want to call it, where you just simply said, you know, I just can't do this. I, I really need to go somewhere else. Oh my God, yes. I was meeting my crew in St. John's. And we showed up at this hotel. They had already gone to dinner. So I showed up and it's, where are we? What is this? What is this hotel? And I'm checking in. There's a sign that says, you know, buses to the hospital leave every 15 minutes. And I'm like, why is, why do they have, what is, what is going on that they need buses on the quarter hour all the time to get you to the hospital? I don't understand this. So you go into the room and the room hadn't been touched in maybe 50 years uh, part of it, it, there was a kitchenette in there as well. So they had lin linoleum flooring and then it kind of, that linoleum went into the, into the bedroom as well. And it was one of those beds where you're like, okay, what is going to be worse? Sleeping under the covers or sleeping on top? And I didn't do anything. I went to go meet my crew. And then I said, there is no way in hell we are staying at this place. I cannot. And so my, the field producer called the office and the office figured out some stuff and we had to get over to like bed and breakfast. We had to stay there one night. I just, like, right when you walk into the room, you can just feel stuff, like, creepy crawly on you. And it was just, and it was just not, not a fun time. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So you've decided to look for a hotel online. 
The options are endless, it seems, but sure enough, you find a few that match your needs. Now all you have to do is decide which one to choose. What's gonna most likely tip the scales in favor of one over another? The reviews. I know it does for me. You want to believe what people are saying and hope that the words they share reveal just how much fun and comfort you will enjoy. Unfortunately, that may not be the case. Just like fake news, there are fake reviews, and our next guest has been studying them to find out if he can identify the ones that are not trustworthy. His name is Christopher Harris, and he is an assistant professor at the University of Northern Colorado. He's also a former hotel owner. Before we get into your research, you were once a hotel owner. What was that like in terms of experience, and perhaps more importantly, ensuring that guest satisfaction? Well, Jason, there's this 595 rule. It's kind of like the 80-20 rule, except that 5% of the guests represent 95% of the time and effort in guest satisfaction. So most hotel owners want to satisfy these guests, but only if their requests are reasonable. And one thing that really bothers hotel owners is the passive-aggressive guest. And that's one who doesn't bother to give a hotel a chance to fix any of the issues they encounter, even if we ask them how their stay was, but instead leaves quietly and then just leaves a scathing review. And we also know some guests use reviews as kind of a form of blackmail. They'll find a reason to complain and threaten to leave a bad review unless a certain condition was met, say like a refund or a discount. And nobody wants an online verbal spanking, so most hotels just simply comply. For example, we had one lady report bed bugs in one of our rooms and brought them in a bag to the front desk the next morning. We just had pest control come out, and we had no previous reports of any bed bugs, so we're kind of surprised. We asked her if we could keep them to show our pest control guy when they came, and she insisted on getting them all back. And later we learned that she was just using those same bugs to get discounts at every place she stayed. It's apparently a common ruse to get a discount. So that gives us some context for understanding how the whole process works. So take us through your research on crowdsourcing and especially hotel reviews. There's really two different types of hotel review websites. There's verified review websites like Booking.com and Expedia, and they only allow guests to leave a review if they've actually stayed there. They send it out by email, and they know if you've been at the property because you booked through them. Others like Yelp and TripAdvisor allow anyone to leave a review. And review fraud is not all positive. It can boost a property by giving five stars, or it can be one that vandalizes their competitors by giving them only one star. For example, on Amazon, there's two researchers from the University of Illinois at Chicago, Jin Dao and Liu, and they found up to one out of three reviews were fraudulent on Amazon. And in our research on TripAdvisor, we found it's probably more like one in six to one in 10. And TripAdvisor claims to have a very strong algorithm to root out fraud. Two years ago, Uba Butler, he was a writer for Vice, and he was constantly being asked to write fake TripAdvisor reviews for restaurants. And he decided to test this out. So he created a fake restaurant in his backyard called The Shed at Dulwich. And in April 2017, he was ranked something like 18,000th restaurant in London. So there's like 18,000 restaurants, and he was last. But by November of the same year, seven months later, he was ranked first. 
despite he'd never served a single meal. And all the reviews that were on the website that got him moved from last place to first place in seven months, they were all fake. So that kind of shows that TripAdvisor's fraud filter isn't really working as advertised. And Yelp isn't much better. What Yelp does is they kind of pressure small businesses to buy their ad services. And if they don't, the five-star reviews on the website generated by customers, they mysteriously disappear. So they claim the algorithm did it, and it's kind of a way of extortion. Since a half-star increase provides around a 19% increase in, in customers. So that increases your foot traffic and your revenue. And what my research did is it looked at 10 cities across the world and it looked at about five and a half million reviews, about 2.6 million on TripAdvisor, and it compared them with 2.9 million reviews on the same properties on Agoda and Booking.com, which have verified reviews. And what's important was who was doing the reviews, the hotels that were actually getting the reviews, and the language used in those reviews. And we found that there's some clear patterns. For example, if a hotel gets reviewed by people who have only reviewed a single property, that property, and it suddenly receives a lot of five-star reviews from these people, it kind of looks a little suspicious. And one way to do this is to hire the crowd to write fake reviews in our research and find out how easy it is to detect the fake ones from the real ones. And it's actually much more difficult than one would expect. And this is from people in the crowd that are just hired online to generate reviews by just looking at other reviews or perhaps property website. It shows how easy it can be done. It's hard to determine because no reviewer is going to come out and say, ah, yeah, my review is actually fake. They're getting paid by some service to write fake reviews. So the gold standard's what's missing. And because that gold standard's missing, we have to make some assumptions that all the ones that are on verified websites are, are real, and all the ones on TripAdvisor could be real or could be artificial or, or um, what we call online review spam. And the only way we can do it is by looking at differences in the two by taking a kind of a large aggregated approach. So we might look at the difference in the language used, or we might take a look at the difference in the review patterns does the hotel get a whole bunch of five-star reviews after a bunch of one-star reviews, for example? This sounds a lot like some other issue we've been hearing about, and that is fake news. Is there a way that we may be able to use what you're doing with hotel reviews to be able to provide us with reliable analyses of public opinion instead of relying on experts who are paid to tow a particular line? That's really a good question because AI or artificial intelligence is getting much better at spotting these fake news articles, but it doesn't catch them all. And computer software can do a lot of the heavy lifting, so they can get all the easy cases a lot quicker than humans. But still, humans are better overall at detecting fakes. However, the gap is narrowing quickly between what AI can do and what humans can do. In fact, in some situations, AI is actually better but it's pretty close right now. For the listeners looking to book a hotel online, what would you suggest that they do? But one thing that we can find uh, from what the research that I've already done is that the language is pretty telling on reviews. For example, it's a lot harder for 
reviewers that are making fake reviews to come up with spatial information that's fraudulent. So they tend to avoid talking about, for example, the room layout or the bathroom layout. It's a lot easier to work on something that's a one-off situation or experiential information, like a rude desk clerk or somebody who didn't bother to answer their phone call. So fake reviews tend to go towards experiential information as opposed to spatial information about the room that could be easily verified. We also found that first-person pronouns tend to be an attempt to boost credibility, and many kind of point to a fake review. So they tend to be more used in fake reviews than genuine ones. And we found that deception is also characterized by more negative emotion words and a lot more punctuation marks, you know, where don't stay here and they've got like five exclamation marks after that (laughs) tends to be either a fraudulent review or it could be somebody who is just really emotional about their stay. And another thing is that word choice is also important. And it's really hard to look at what words are used in real reviews and fake reviews by just looking at a few of them. But what we did is we looked at five and a half million and we definitely noticed the word choice that people use in real reviews and what we suspect are fraudulent reviews is quite different. That is something that would help with how research can find out the answer. But what users can do is remember that most reviewers aren't there to give three-star reviews. But through the central limit theorem, most reviewers are having a three-star review stay. So the ones that are leaving reviews are kind of the outliers. They're the ones that are having a one-star experience or a five-star experience. And that's probably less likely than what your guests will experience. So what they complain about is also important. And also realize that there's no there's no normalization. So one person's five could be another person's four or three. And we've had people leave a one-star review because they couldn't cancel a non-cancelable reservation. We had another guy leave a, reserva- a, a bad review because they couldn't figure out how to work the television remote and didn't bother to ask anyone. So they're not really normalized across reviewers. If the language in the, in the review looks like a personal attack, it's probably somebody who's just not giving a fair assessment of the review. And that comes across in the language that they use and the sentiment as well. It's SAS class time. And today we're going to explore how the world of food safety may be able to improve your stay in a hotel by ensuring you don't have to deal with contamination. Our guest teacher is Barbara Almanza, and she is a professor at Purdue University. As she puts it, when it comes to hotels and food, there's a common denominator that needs to be addressed. It's called the Consumer Reaction to Environmental Contamination Theory. Well, when I first started teaching food safety about 30 years ago, I focused on the restaurant's operations, what they should, what they should not do to make food safe. And one of the facts that I would explain to the students was that we cannot always tell when food is unsafe. There are forms of bacterial and viral contamination that are not evident in in food products. But in restaurants, is running the restaurants and restaurant operation, it's black and white. You do the right things, you should keep the food safe. But eventually I started thinking about it from the consumer standpoint. They are also not able to tell if the food is contaminated. And I started doing research on what they use to evaluate the, the safety of the food in the restaurant. 
And then eventually I got pulled into other environments in the hospitality and tourism industry, hotels and planes and so on. And that gave birth to the consumer reaction to environmental contamination model. We started thinking about all of the factors that might affect consumers' reactions to unclean conditions. When we talk about contamination, one of the things that we feel is going to come up is the feeling of disgust. And who wants to walk into a hotel room and see something that makes them feel unwell or unclean or unwilling to be there? Is disgust really the strongest reaction that hotels need to deal with? Well, it's funny you should ask it that way. I certainly hope not. In the hospitality industry, we hope we evoke positive emotions more than we evoke the negative emotions because we want to have customers and guests return. We call it customer satisfaction, but it's really happiness or pleasure. On the other hand, disgust seems to be the most effective measure of the negative response, and we want to know the negative responses as well. And so that's why it's important when you're looking at lack of cleanliness, and that's why disgust is in the model. Are there any other factors that determine whether a person may find a situation unclean or even disgusting? Oh, there are many variables that affect consumer perception. Part of it may be their intrinsic feeling about their own personal risk, and that affects how concerned they are about things in the environment. Perhaps it's their knowledge about pathogens that might cause foodborne illness or other forms of illness. Sometimes it's even familiarity with their own environment. For instance, growing up in a family, there may be certain things that you were taught were safe and certain things were unsafe. Even demographics, age and gender may make a difference. We find, for instance, that females and millennials appear to be more concerned about the safety and and are very concerned about the risk in certain food products. Prior experience can even make a difference. If you or a family member or a friend has had a serious illness, uh, that may affect your future interactions as you look at the environments you're in. And then even the type of contact that you are looking at. And that's where I've done a lot of my research. I've looked at the location of personal contact that you might have with objects that might be contaminated. So, for instance, people are most concerned if something might touch their head, particularly the mouth. Then it's your hands, then it's bare skin and other locations of your body, and then finally other types of contact, maybe through clothing like your shoes. You're less concerned about that as compared to those other areas. What have you found with respect to cleanliness, environmental contamination, and what people should be thinking when they walk into a hotel room? It's interesting to look at hotel rooms. My area actually started in the area of food service, but my colleagues pulled me into the hotel area. And as I started working in this area, I found that many of the same issues applied and that if anything, we need more research on the measurement of cleanliness in hotel rooms. And it's ironic because hotel room cleaning is done probably hundreds of thousands of times a day across the planet. But the major way that we judge the cleanliness as hoteliers and housekeepers is to look at it through its physical appearance. And our research shows, just as in restaurants where you can't always tell if a food is contaminated, you cannot always tell if the surfaces in a hotel are clean. 
So if I talk about specifics in terms of the guest room, some of the dirtiest places in the guest rooms were actually light switches, keypads, and a lot of electronics where there are difficult to clean surfaces. And then also some of the areas perhaps you might expect in the bathroom, although I wouldn't have expected the bathroom sink to be one of the most contaminated surfaces, although the bathroom floor maybe did make sense. And probably the biggest surprise we had was the what was related to the cleaning tools on the housekeeping carts. Some of the dirtiest areas were actually related to those. And I guess then finally I'd add, just for fun, when we were doing our research, we started swabbing some of the common areas of the hotel, the public areas. Mm-hmm. The first time we did that, it was really just exploratory, and we we actually just picked out random areas. We thought the workout room, for instance, would be quite bad, and it wasn't. The area that turned out to be the dirtiest was something every single guest probably touches multiple times during their stay, and is something that is probably never explicitly put on any housekeeper's cleaning schedule. Do you want to take a guess what that was, Jason? I don't know if I really want to. <laughs> I, I would almost say the elevator button. You are correct. Oh, it, the uh, count was in the thousands when we did the estimate on that in comparison oh. to our other studies. And how else are you going to get somewhere? I mean, maybe that is a way of being able to get people to take the stairs more often. You didn't swab the, the door handles for the uh, for the stair doors, did you? No, those people don't take those as often as you might think they do. If I were looking at the elevator button in the future, Jason, you might want to give it a fist bump or an elbow bump. <laughs> I think that's a very, very good idea. Well, that's it for this week's SASCast. I hope it helps you to avoid those hotel horrors. For Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. We want to thank everyone who has been listening. Your support is overwhelming. And we are trying to show that gratitude by taking your questions and answering them on the show in the form of topics and themes. Send me a tweet at JATetro or an email at thegermguy at gmail.com. If you haven't already, Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It really does help to spread the word and gets more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to all of our guests. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Kelsey Campbell is our on-site audio producer and editing whiz. Dila Velasquez is our story producer. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week. And as always, make sure to show him some sass. Super Awesome Science.